Do you worry? If so, the Apostle Paul says stop. Find out how today on Change by Grace. Welcome to Change by Grace. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. Did you know that worry is a sin? It's a sin because when we worry, we stop trusting God. In our study today in Philippians 4, 6-9, Paul said to the Philippians to stop worrying and pray. Is that the antidote to worry? Well, let's find out. Well, this morning we're going to take a serious look at what Paul says next in Philippians chapter 4, particularly verses 6 through 9. So please take your Bible this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 4. We've already looked at the first five verses where Paul wants the Philippians to stand firm. And they were going to be able to stand firm by living in harmony with one another, by rejoicing in the Lord, and by letting their gentleness be experienced by others. All three of these areas, though, were threatened because there was a problem between two women, Iodia and Syntyche. They weren't living in harmony, therefore that affected the church's ability to rejoice and manifest gentleness. When there is division, everyone suffers, not just those that are directly involved, but that obviously led to another problem, and that other problem is worry or anxiety. And that's what we find in verses 6 through 9. So let me take a moment and read them. Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What a wonderful passage, because many times we are loaded down with worry. We're loaded down with anxiety. And here Paul tells us exactly in this passage how we are to respond when we're like this. How to cut it off. How to deal with it head on. And of course the answer to it is very simple as he already says there in verse 6 about prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Letting your requests be made known to God and then look at the promise. God's peace is supplied to you. When you live this way, when you do not worry when you are not anxious, but when those times happen and you pray and you have thankful prayer, God promises His peace. But you have to obey Him and not worry. But this was certainly a problem that was going on already. In fact, verse 6 begins... If we could rephrase it the way it would occur in the Greek text, it would say this. Stop being anxious. I say it that way because this was already going on. Maybe they were worrying about the conflict between Iodia and Syntyche. 
and the problems that it was causing in the church instead of praying and helping to restore them. Or it could have been something else. But if we go just by the context, we could certainly say or infer that it had something to do with what was going on. Again, when there's conflict in the church, it affects everybody. You, you can't compartmentalize sin. It, it affects everyone. It touches everyone. But I want you to notice the two words as verse 6 begins. It says, be anxious. That's actually two words in English, but one word in Greek. And this one verb in Greek is translated here, anxious, and it's also translated in Matthew 6, 24, worry. And if you parse this verb or break this verb down, this would be a present active imperative. Now let me tell you what all those mean, because I'm not, not going to say that and run. A present is talking about tense. Tense is right here and now. It could be future. It could be past. But this is present tense. Present tense means it's ongoing. It started at one point, but it was still going on. It's continuous. And then when we talk about active, active is just telling us what the subject's doing. The subject is causing the action. Who is, who is the subject? The subject is the Philippians, these believers here in Philippi. They are the ones worrying. They are the ones causing the action. They're the ones causing Paul to respond with this command to stop doing this. And then, of course, we all know what an imperative is. An imperative is a command. So according to this verb here, they were already being anxious, and Paul is commanding them to stop. Stop doing this. You know, when I counsel people, sometimes that's really all the counsel I give. It's very simple. Just stop doing what you're doing. Just stop sinning. Just stop sinning against each other. But, 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 but wait a minute, that is, that's it? It's not more profound than that? Well, how much more profound do we need it to be? You're doing something you shouldn't be doing, and you're unhappy, you're miserable, and God says, Stop! Stop doing it. It's that simple. Now, I know it's not that simple to do, but the remedy is that simple. Just stop. But he doesn't leave us there. He replaces that bad habit with a good habit. And the good habit is to pray. So again, whatever they were anxious about, Paul adds another word, which is an adjective, and it's a negative adjective. He says, be anxious for nothing. That literally means not one. They were to be anxious about not one thing. And interesting that nothing or one thing, it appears at the head of the verse. So if you were to look at an interlinear Greek Bible, which would have the English and the Greek, it would start out this way. It would say, nothing, be anxious. And the reason why that's put at the at the top of the verse, or the beginning of the verse, it's there for emphasis. You need to not be anxious about anything. You don't need to worry about anything. You say, but yeah, but you don't know my life. But God does. And He's the one that says, stop. He's the one that says, be anxious for nothing. Now, I know you and I justify being anxious. We find a way around that. We even replace it with terms like, I'm concerned. And really, in essence, we're just saying the same thing. We just used a different word to make it sound better. 
and more justifiable. I do realize that some that have anxiety is a medical, physical condition, but others it's not. I know that this weighs down the heart, according to Proverbs 12.25, which says anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. You know that. I mean, it just it's heavy on you. There's nothing good about it. But listen to Proverbs 12.25. But a good word makes it glad. Sometimes you can be just really heavy, and maybe you walked in here heavy like that, heavy of heart, and someone just has a really good word to share with you, and boom, knocked you right out of that. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, not to worry. He said it three times. He said it in verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So you got some here worrying about their life. They're worrying about what they're going to eat. They're worrying about what they're going to drink. They're worrying about what they're going to wear. I mean, how many times you walk to the mirror? I just don't have anything to wear today, but you got a whole closet full of clothes. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Verse 31, he said, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? I mean, he clothes the birds of the air, he feeds them, he clothes the grass of the fields. I mean, he takes care of those things. And you're of more value than them, he says. And then in verse 34, he says, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, so you've you got some people that worry about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear, and they worry about tomorrow. My goodness, they made it out of today, and they've already got tomorrow going. So you don't need to worry about those things. In fact, in verse 33, he says what you need to be concerned about is seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he says, all these things will be added to you. Those are basic daily necessities. He will provide. In each of those verses, there's actually an underlying thought. And the underlying thought to not worrying is what? Trusting God. See, He will feed you. He will clothe you. He will provide for you. He will take care of tomorrow while he takes care of today. He upholds all things by the word of his power, according to Hebrews 1. Do you think if he upholds the universe, he can take care of us? I mean, he can. In Matthew 6, 27, Jesus essentially says worrying is pointless because you can't add a single hour to your life. So why worry? He even told his disciples when it came time for them to be persecuted for their faith not to worry. He said in Matthew 10, 19, But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. Don't worry about it. Just trust me, Jesus is saying. Paul is saying, trust in the Lord. Trust God. So if he's telling them to stop doing this, and we've already 
said that that verb is a command, and if you are worrying, then you're being disobedient, and disobedience is what? Sin. Worry is a sin. Because, again, we're commanded not to worry. And worry is the result of not trusting God. You know, worry has nothing good to offer, so again, why should we do it? I think the biggest part of the reasons why we do this is because of our fallen nature, something that we inherited from Adam. I was reading some um, quotes this week on this whole subject, and I came across the, remember the 20th century poet, Helen Steiner Rice? Elaine, I just saw this morning, has something on her wall written by her. Well, she wrote poetry, and here's something that she wrote that I thought was fitting for us. She said, worry? Why worry? What can worry do? It never keeps the trouble from overtaking you. It gives you indigestion and sleepless hours at night and fills with gloom the days, however fair and bright. Isn't she right? See, I made a rhyme. She's right. What good is it going to do? It's not going to stop the problem that you're worrying about. John Scott, or Stott rather, he agrees when he says each day has troubles enough of its own, so why anticipate them? If we do, we double them, for if our fear does not materialize, we have worried once for nothing. If it does materialize, we have worried twice instead of once. In both cases, it's foolish. Worry doubles trouble. The main problem with worrying is it's an indication that we think God cannot look after us. It's a blow to the sovereign and providential care of God. James Boyce said, if you're worrying, you're not trusting. And if you're trusting, you're not worrying. It's that simple. John MacArthur adds, worry strikes a blow at the person and the character of God. Boyce again says, we commit sin when we worry. We do not trust God when we worry. We do not receive answers to prayer when we worry because we are not trusting. So then worry is a sin against the loving care of our Heavenly Father. And worry shifts the focus of attention. It shifts the focus of attention off God and on yourself. One writer said this, Worry shifts the focus of attention from all the sufficient power of Christ to your human insufficiency and insecurity. Ultimately, worry can undermine your Christian witness by presenting God as impotent and unworthy of praise. Now, we don't want any of that, do we? But that's what it does. So again, there's nothing good about it. Again, is there anything good about sin? Not at all. Another writer said this, Worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. I mean, we might as well call it that because you're saying that you can't trust God and that you have to worry about this situation. So you're acting like God doesn't even exist. That's why he says it's practical atheism. And therefore, that would be an affront. So, my simple word to you this morning, if you're worrying, stop. Stop doing it. You already heard what 
Paul said. You already heard what Jesus said. You already heard from other people what they say in terms of the problems with it. But I want to give you a couple more things before I move on. One is a beatitude that someone wrote. And they said this, Blessed is the man who is too busy to worry in the daytime and too sleepy to worry at night. Amen, right? So what are you to do then when you worry? Well, you can do what this one man did. He worried all the time about everything. He was a chronic worrier. One day his friends saw him whistling, and they said, Could that be our friend? They said, No, that can't be our friend. It is our friend. They asked him, Well, what happened? He said, I'm paying a man to do worrying for me. You mean you aren't worrying anymore? He said, No. He said, Whenever I'm inclined to worry, I just let him do it. How much do you pay him? He said, $2,000 a week. Wow. How can you afford that? He said, I can't. (laughs) But that's his worry. And, you know, when I read that, I was thinking, behind that little humorous situation, there is something very serious here. Who can we let worry for us? God. Well, Paul does give the antidote to this. He doesn't just tell them to stop doing something and leave them there. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. So if you're taking notes with me, the first one was stop being anxious. The second one is pray. Pray. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Every time that you are anxious, you are to, say it with me, pray. Every time you're anxious, every time you are tempted to worry about something, you are to do what? Pray. That's what we're to do. We're to pray. And Paul says in everything, prayer and supplication. Supplication are basically specific requests that we make to God. And the idea of request, that's the subject of the verse. We are to pray. We are not to shrink from petitioning. We're to let the actual things asked for be ever and ever made known to God. Then no worry will ever be able to arise if you do that because you're focused on giving it to the Lord. Linsky asks, in what better hands can any trouble of ours rest than in God's hands? Paul's very words contain the assurance that God will attend to all that we ask by either giving this to us or giving us something better above what we could ask or think. Ever thought about it in that way? I mean, a lot of times we think if something doesn't happen, well, that is an answer. God's saying no. Or He's saying wait. Or maybe He's saying both and I have something better for you. Not what you think is good for you. I mean, we all have that in opinion, what we think God should give us, right? So Paul's language here is deliberately all-inclusive. There are no restrictions on applying it. Albert Barnes says, everything in reference to the supply of your wants and the wants of your families, everything in respect to afflictions, embarrassments, and trials, everything relating to your spiritual condition, 
There is nothing which pertains to body, mind, estate, friends, conflict, losses, trials, hopes, fears, in reference to which we may not go and spread it all out before the Lord. You take everything to Him. Everything. I take everything to Him. Can't hide anything from Him anyway. So why should we try? He knows everything. David called on God in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, to search and know his heart. Listen to what he said. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So his, his prayer was for God to try him, test him, and lead him in the right way because left to himself, he'd never get there. And listen, understand this. When God is testing you, when God is giving you trials, because trials are a test according to James chapter 1. And when He's doing that in your life, He's not doing that to find out for Himself anything about you or anything about your faith or anything about your heart. He is letting you see that. Because as you go through something very difficult, you're going to see what your faith is like. Your faith has to be tested. It has to be tried. And if you're going through a situation and you're just crumbling and you're falling apart and you're worried and all that, what does that say about your faith? Is it lacking? It's certainly lacking something, right? Or what if you go through this and you can do what James 1, 2 says, count it all joy. You have joy in the midst of that trial. You're not thankful for the trial itself other than what the trial is going to do. It's going to make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's going to produce perseverance in your life. It's going to draw you closer to the Lord. It's going to strip away those things in your life that are not good for you, those things that are pulling you back, pulling you down, those things that are weighing you down. Listen, the best place to go when you're struggling of any type is to the Word of God. You know, when I read Proverbs 12, 25 a few moments ago, it talking about anxiety weighing down the heart. Do you remember what it said? But a good word lifts it up. I can't think of a better word than right here than God's word to lift you up. Go to it. You say, well, I don't know where to go. Well, let me recommend a topical Bible for you. Go out and get you a topical Bible. Then you can look up things by topic. Then you'll know where you're going. And then once you find where you're at and it gives you the information, now open up your Bible and go read the chapter. Just so you don't misinterpret it, so that you don't take it out of context, because, you know, in those topical Bibles, sometimes you'll have one verse here, one verse there, and so forth, but it doesn't give you the whole chapter, doesn't tell you the context of what's going on. So that's where you'll have to do that. But at least it'll point you in the direction. It'll show you a good place to go. I, I use topical Bible a lot. Especially if somebody's talking to me on the phone and they're asking me some questions and my, my mind has just drawn a blank... And uh, I can pull out my topical Bible and I can flip through it, what they're talking about, and hope that there's something in that topical Bible that I can share. Praying at the same time that there's something I can share with them that I know from the Word. But we need to be just like David was and run to our Heavenly Father who cares for us. In the words of 1 Peter 5, 7, we come to Him casting all our anxiety on Him because He cares for us. We come to Him with our supplication. We come to Him with our petitions, knowing that He hears our request. 
And we can also come to Him with grateful hearts. Because again, He cares for us. Our lives are in His sovereign hands. We walk by faith and not by sight. We are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all of our ways, we are to acknowledge Him and He will direct our paths, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And you know, there are many things to be thankful for. So if you're struggling there, what to replace what you're worrying about, let me give you a few things that you can be thinking about where you could thank the Lord. Over in Philippians 4.19, Paul is thankful by telling us that God will supply all your needs. That's what he says to the Philippians. According to Psalm 139.3, we can be thankful that he stays closely in touch in our lives. God is not in a distance. He's in our lives. And as I said, 1 Peter 5.7, he cares about us. Psalm 62.11, all power belongs to Him, that He is making us more and more like Christ. And also there is no detail, according to Psalm 147.5, that escapes Him. You know, the list doesn't end right there. That's just a few things. Albert Barnes says, we can always find something to be thankful for, no matter what may be the burden of our wants or the special subject of our petitions. So Paul says we're to pray, and we're to pray with thanksgiving. That's the antidote to worry. Thankful prayer. So when he says in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Everything that would cause you to worry. Everything that doesn't cause you to worry. Everything. Prayer. Prayer. And supplication. With thanksgiving. Letting your request be made known unto God. So the antidote again is thankful prayer. And Paul called for this kind of praying throughout his letters in the New Testament. He said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5.20, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even the Father. He said to the Colossians in Colossians 2.6 and 7, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. He also said to the Colossians in Colossians 3.17 that whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. He said also in Colossians 4.2 to devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. He told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we should always be giving thanks. I trust you're always giving thanks. You can do that when you do exactly what Paul says in this passage. You've been listening today to The Antidote to Worry, taken from Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9. This message is available today on one full-length audio CD. And you can get your copy today by calling us at 904-651-3351. Or you can download the free MP3 from our website at www.changebygrace.org. Well, I want to thank you for listening, and I hope that you'll join us again next time as we study God's Word. Hi, I'm Pastor Steve Herford. 
I want to invite you to join us this morning at Eastport Baptist Church at 11 o'clock. Eastport is a biblical, reformed, and expository preaching church. And we would love to have the opportunity to share the Word of God with you this morning. So I hope that you'll come, and I look forward to meeting you and worshiping Christ together.